We're continuing through the book of Genesis. We're going to be finishing up chapter 26 today. So we're looking at verses 26 to 35. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And <coughs> I entitled the message today, Jumping on the Bandwagon. When you think of that phrase, the Cambridge Dictionary defines the phrase this way, to join an activity that has become popular or to change your opinion to one that has become very popular so that you can share in its success. Makes sense, right? You're jumping on the bandwagon. This concept is used heavily in sports, especially with super hardcore fans, right? They don't like it when somebody jumps on the bandwagon, right? They're like, no, I just can't believe you did that. Uh. They get all upset. They'll blame the current converts to a particular sports team as jumping on the bandwagon. And these current fans, just they want to share in the success of a winning team, right? Perhaps, they, um, perhaps they're a Washington Redskins fan. Or, a, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're still the Washington Redskins to me. <laughs> or the Baltimore Orioles, right? Uh, maybe there's some other team like that. But um, anyhow... Of course, other fans are willing to go uh, down with the ship, right? They'll never abandon their team, no matter how long it's been since they've had a winning season. So I want you to know that I am not a bandwagoner today. I have been a Baltimore Orioles fan and a Washington Redskins fan since growing up here in South Central Pennsylvania. Even though I spent the last two years of high school in Alabama and didn't return to Pennsylvania until I was 40 years old, I've never stopped being a fan of these two sports teams. So I'm one of those guys that will go down with the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have been. Have been. I just hold on. I hold on to how things were in the past. I'm just remembering with fondness, you know, like Joe Theismann and John Riggins and the greatest baseball player of all time, Cal Ripken Jr. You might want to, you know, you might not believe that, but it's true. Um, <laughs> I, no one's ever going to break his, uh, his, his, you know, the longest streak. Yeah, no one's ever going to break that. But anyhow, <laughs> over the years, I've followed certain players, no matter what team they played for, though. And the reason why is a couple of these players have shown such great character and have stood up for their faith in Jesus Christ that I've followed the teams that they've played for. One of those is Kurt Warner. Um, I watched the St. Louis Rams play. Of course, now they're the Los Angeles Rams because Kurt Warner was their quarterback and he was just outspoken about his faith and how God was the one who was helping him. And when he was traded to the Arizona Cardinals, I watched them play. Albert Pujols is another player that I have followed from team to team. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals and then the Los Angeles Angels, and now he's back at St. Louis for his final year, I guess. Had Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow played longer in the NFL or in, or in uh, Major League Baseball, I would have followed him no matter what team he played for. And you could say that I am on the Warner Pujols Tebow bandwagons, right? I follow them wherever they go. Just, uh, and there's a lot of other players, too, that are just great men of character and women of character. And so perhaps you follow those people as well. All of us are probably loyal to something or someone. Some of us are loyal to a certain brand or team. 
depends on who you talk to in the church today. They're um, either a, a John Deere fan for tractors or they're a, a cat fan that says that they're going to eat your John Deere. Um, uh, maybe you're a Massey Ferguson guy. Got one of those. Yeah. When it comes to trucks, you're either a Ford, Chevy, or Dodge person, right? When it comes to uh, cell phones, you're either Apple or Android. Or maybe you're neither, right? Like, no cell phone. <laughs> when it comes to computers, you're either like Mac or a PC. When it comes to comics, I don't understand this one. You're either Marvel or DC. I like them both. I, I like to watch both of them. When it comes to futuristic space fantasies, you're either Star Wars or Star Trek. No, you're both. They're both amazing. I like to watch both of them. Anyhow, living in Pennsylvania, you're either a Penguins, Pirates, Steelers fan or a Flyers, Phillies, and uh, Eagles fan. And unless you live in South Central Pennsylvania, then you might be a Redskins fan. <laughs> Ladies, are you loyal to a certain kind of makeup? Some of you are, and Roxy's really grateful. <laughs> because you get Mary Kay Cosmetics, right? Maybe you're, uh, maybe you like, Roxy, just close your ears for a couple of minutes. Just plug them up here. Maybe you like Estee Lauder or L'Oreal or Maybelline or Revlon or CoverGirl or Clinique or some other makeup. There was, when I was researching this, like, there's so many makeups out there. Companies, my goodness. Ladies, too, with handbags or purses, right? Maybe it's Gucci or Chanel or Prada or Louis Vuitton or Vera Bradley or the Walmart brand. <laughs> right? You're like, I'm not spending all that money on that handbag. I'm going to just get something that's, that's, uh, that works, right? That carries my stuff around. I'm not really uh, loyal to any particular handbag. Most of us remain loyal, but there are times that we may choose to jump on the bandwagon. Maybe it comes to sports. Maybe you're like, man, my team has just been horrible for so long. I'm just going to choose a different team. It's just time. Maybe it comes to brands. Maybe you're, something happens with a particular brand that you didn't like happening in the company, and so you begin to switch brands. Maybe it's social issues. Those are huge in our culture today, aren't they? Social issues are big. And there's this push to, to be accepting and tolerant of particular social issues and political issues as well and you know we even do it in the church don't we with spiritual things we get on the bandwagon of a particular type of teaching or a certain pastor i mean i'm just i used to say it a lot when i first started here if you're coming to the church to hear me preach you're coming for the wrong reasons i want you to come to the church because you want to hear about someone far greater than me uh, about the god who created the universe about a Savior who gave his life on the cross for us. That's where our loyalty should be. Not to a particular pre preacher, not to a particular type of teaching, but to the Word of God and the one who authored it. We are going to see today that Abimelech, this king of the Philistines, after sending Isaac away, realizes that God is blessing him Abimelech and his two companions track Isaac down in order to make a treaty with him, to be at peace with him. They wanted to be included in what God was doing for Isaac. 
They wanted to jump on the bandwagon of God's blessing. And what the author wants us to understand from this section of Scripture today is our big idea, and it's this. God's blessing on us can draw others to him. I didn't say will, because it doesn't always happen, right? But it can. As we share God's blessings with those around us, it can encourage others to check it out, to come and see. And so God's blessing on us can draw others to him. As we think about that big idea, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this message to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. And Lord, I don't want your people to hear my voice today. I want them to hear your voice. These are your words that you gave to men a long time ago to write down. You inspired them, Lord God, and illumined their minds. Lord, I pray today that we would hear your voice, that you would transform us by the power of your word, that, Lord God, there wouldn't be any barriers this morning that would keep us from hearing your voice. Lord, we pray against any evil spirit that may be trying to stop up the ears of anyone, whether it's in person here, online, we pray, Lord God, that you would loosen those ears today, that they might be able to hear your word, respond to it, and be transformed. And so we ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Let's look at the first point this morning. It's verses 26 to 31, and it's the request. This is what God's word says. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come, in, had come to him, meaning Isaac, from Gerar with, I don't even know how to pronounce these guys' names. Anyhow, we'll try. Ahuzeth, his personal advisor, and Pico, the commander of his, uh, of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him and peace. <clears throat> so we see the beginning, uh, the very first word in, in uh, verse 26 says, meanwhile. We have to look back at what Pastor Mark shared last week to understand the context of why um, the author is saying, meanwhile. Isaac had moved approximately three times, and his servants had dug a, at least three different wells and reopened other wells that Abraham had dug during his time. Isaac had been in conflict with the people of Gerar during that time. They kept claiming ownership of the wells that his servants had dug. So they're like, oh, no, 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 that, that's our water. You need to go. And then Isaac would just kind of quietly move to a next location, dig another well, and, uh, and then they would find water there. God was just blessing. And then the, the, the herdsmen for Gerar would be like, oh, that's, that's ours too. <laughs> you know. And so he had to keep moving until he found a place where no one was arguing about the well. And then he named that one Rehoboth. And so uh, after digging the Rehoboth well, he went up from the valley of Gerar, which is where he had been staying, to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him and confirmed the promise he had made to Abraham. That's what we saw last week. Three things happened 
there in Beersheba. Isaac built an altar and worshipped the Lord. Isaac pitched his tent and began to live there. And Isaac's servants dug another well. And after all this had taken place, we see Abimelech coming for a visit. He travels that 20 miles um, to come visit from Gerar to Beersheba to see Isaac. He brought two people with him. And uh, the first one is Akuzeth, and his name means possession. He was Abimelech's companion or confidential friend. It was just like a really close friend, someone that he confided in, someone that uh, he trusted. And then we see Pico, and his name means strong. That's pretty, I think that's pretty interesting because he's the chief captain of the army of the Philistines in Gerar. So he's kind of living up to his name. And so Abimelech has brought his main uh, civilian officer and his main military officer with him. And so as they come to Isaac, Isaac's probably a little bit confused. He's like, you guys sent me away. Um, So why are you here? Why have you come to me? (coughs) Like I said, their, their visit confuses Isaac because of how he was sent away. The NIV translates it as they were hostile to him. Most other Bible translations translate the Hebrew here as hate or hated. That's a little stronger, I think, than this hostile. We know that Abimelech sent Isaac away because he had become too powerful for them. He's like, you just have too many people with too many uh, flocks and herds, and God's blessing you where you're planting, and in the same year you're having uh, a crop of a hundredfold. That's phenomenal. Like, you're just too powerful for us. You have to go away. We also know that every time he moved and dug wells that the people of Gerar uh, just mistreated him by claiming ownership of the wells that his servants had dug. And Isaac obviously interpreted their actions as hating him or being hostile towards him. Now, as we'll see in just a little bit with Abimelech's response, he didn't interpret it the same way. Or at least he was trying to change history. (laughs) Right? It's happening today as well in our culture. Abimelech's response shows that God's blessing on us can draw others to him. They wanted to be a part of the blessing. They don't want to be in opposition to Isaac's God. And so we see his response. Abimelech and his people wanted to share in the success that Isaac was experiencing through God's blessing. They also wanted to make sure that they were not in opposition with Isaac and his God. They clearly recognized that the Lord was with Isaac. Last week we saw that Isaac planted crops, and in the same year those crops produced a hundredfold. That was clearly the hand of God blessing Isaac. That doesn't normally happen. We also saw last week that every time Isaac's servants dug a well, they found water. Those statistics should be staggering to us. Like, 100% success. How often does that happen? And on one occasion they found a well with fresh flowing water. That's awesome. So God's promise to Isaac was being fulfilled. He said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. You know, I'm going to bless other nations through you. That's what he had told Abraham, and he confirmed that with Isaac. And so that brings us to our first principle today, that God is glorified when others recognize his blessing in our lives. That's who gets glorified. When we're blessed by God, man, we should always turn that blessing back on God. He's the one who's done it for me. He's the one who's provided for me. He's the one who's given me that job. He's the one who's uh, given me this relationship this husband or wife, these children, whatever it is, we should always say God was at work. He's the one who's blessed me. And when we do that, God is glorified 
and others will recognize that. Abimelech recognized that the Lord was the one who had blessed Isaac. It was God's supernatural power at work that, that caught Abimelech's attention. It was not anything that Isaac did in his own strength. We have to understand that today. Isaac's not doing this in his own strength. He had nothing to do with the fact that those crops came in a hundredfold. That was God. He was faithful to plant. So do our family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors recognize the blessing of God in our lives? It may or may not be supernatural. And are we sharing with those individuals what God is doing in our lives and how he has provided for us? That takes us to that big idea again that God's blessing on us can draw others to him. And as I mentioned earlier, I purposely used the word can because God's blessing on us does not always draw others to him. Some people will not acknowledge or recognize that God is the one who is blessing us because if they acknowledge that, they would have to acknowledge that he exists. And they're unwilling to do that. Uh-uh. There is no God. This is it. This earth is all we have. This life is all we have. Abimelech was drawn to Isaac because of God's blessing on him. We're not told that Abimelech believed in God and began to follow him. I'm just reminded of Luke's narrative about Simon the sorcerer who was drawn to Philip, Peter, and John because of God's blessing on them that was manifested through great signs and miracles and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You can read this for yourself in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 24. But Simon, he's there, and, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, Philip comes and preaches the gospel, and it says that Simon the sorcerer like believes uh, this teaching and everything, and, and uh, he gives up all this sorcery and, and stuff that he's doing. And then a, a little bit later, Peter and John come down uh, to where he's at, and uh, he sees that Peter and John lay their hands on the believers there so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. And so Simon the sorcerer says to Peter and John, he's like, hey, can you give me that gift? I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to lay my hands on people when they receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon's like, says to him, you have no part of us. Your heart's not in the right place. You're not really a follower of Jesus Christ. Like, you know, you need to repent. Or, or you're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. And then Simon says to Peter, will you pray for me that none of what you just said will happen to me? I think that's when the transformation in Simon the sorcerer's life took place. He realized his heart was not right before the Lord. He realized that he needed to follow the true and living God. No matter what kind of gift the Holy Spirit was going to give to him. And so we see that here. Hopefully Simon's response was a genuine act of repentance and he became a true disciple of Jesus Christ with a heart that was right before God. You know, I was... I did. yesterday I was somewhere and um, uh, somebody had asked me a couple of questions and uh, it was God putting in my mind the right response. And uh, that's just God's blessing on us, isn't it? Like he gives us just the right things to say at just the right time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want us to, to ever not acknowledge that God's in control. Here was the, the question that somebody asked me. They said, hey, has your church uh, uh, figured out the definition of gender? And here was my response. I, I, again, this is God, because I'm not smart enough to think this up on my own. Um, my response was this. We don't have to, because God's already defined gender, and it's in his word. That's God. I wouldn't normally do that. 
But that was God, like, just giving, giving me the right words to say. And it's like, that's the truth. We don't have to define gender. God's already done it. We just have to follow him and his word and what he tells us, that they're a male and female. He's defined marriage as well, just so you know. So as we come to this um, principle, here's the next step maybe you need to take today, and that's to share with my family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors how God has blessed me. Man, we need to do that all the time because it, it could draw them to Jesus. It can have that effect. They're like, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. Because God had blessed Isaac and he had become very powerful, Abimelech and his people wanted to be sure that they were on his side. They wanted to be included in Isaac's success. They wanted to jump on that bandwagon. They were asking for a peace treaty because Isaac's people and a, between Isaac's people and Abimelech's people. Even though Abimelech was the king of the Philistines in Gerar, he was humbly coming to Isaac to ask for a peace treaty. That's pretty phenomenal. I, at least I think. Hamilton says this, he, meaning Abimelech, is presenting his case from a position not of strength but of vulnerability. He's the king, and he's coming to who? Just Isaac. He's a foreigner in the land. And saying, hey, can we have a peace treaty? He was seeking a sworn agreement, a treaty that would protect them from any harm. Abimelech reminds Isaac that he had given orders to his people not to molest Isaac or Rebekah when he found out that Rebekah was not his sister, right? We talked about that several weeks ago. Like Abimelech looks down out of his window and he sees Isaac, Isaacing with Rebekah. Like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And then he calls him in and he says, that's not your sister, is it? It's your wife. And, and he says, why did you do that? And Isaac's like, because I was afraid I'd lose my life. Because how beautiful Rebecca is. Guys, you need to say that about your wives when you're around other people, just so you know. That's, that's a good thing. I might lose my life because my wife is so beautiful. Right? I'm giving you some help, guys. Come on. All right, you wrote it down good. <clears throat> there we go. So he, he says that, and then what, what is Abimelech's response? It wasn't what Isaac had expected. He didn't lose his life. Abimelech says to all of his people, if any of you molests uh, Isaac or Rebekah, you're going to pay with your life. You will die. That was kind of the opposite of what Isaac was expecting. And so this is all what's taking place, and they're you know, asking for this treaty. <clears throat> he also tells Isaac that they always treated him well and sent him away in peace. Now, notice that Abimelech did not interpret what happened between his herdsmen and Isaac's herdsmen as being hostile or hateful. <laughs> I think Pastor Mark mentioned last week that it appears as though Isaac moved away from the disputed wells without a fight until he dug a well and no one tried to claim ownership of it. So like he kind of just peacefully and quietly, you know, just, oh, we'll go over here now and we'll just dig another well. And well, now we'll go over this way and we'll dig another well. And perhaps Abimelech took Isaac's actions as leaving in peace even though they were disputes, even though there were disputes over the wells. And it's amazing how two people can look at the same situation and interpret it differently, isn't it? This just goes to show us how important open communication is. Without communication, uh, communicating clearly, we always run the risk of misinterpreting the intentions or actions of others. And you know, the Lord used this passage this week to remind me that there was a situation that I probably misinterpreted because of the lack of clear communication. Not just on my part, but on the part of this other 
individual as well. The other party probably misinterpreted my actions also, but we never came together and talked it out. Now, the Holy Spirit prompted me about this situation quite a few months ago while walking my dog in the orchard. And as a result, I sent cards in the mail apologizing for my failure in the situation. I just had to humble myself and say, hey, I'm sorry, and here's where I failed you, and will you forgive me? Perhaps the Holy Spirit's prompting you about a situation right now where you have misinterpreted the intentions, actions, or communication from another person. And as I think about our theme this year of loving one another, maybe you need to contact that person and open up the lines of communication so that any misunderstanding can be resolved. And that takes us to our second next step today, and that's to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting about resolving a situation I have misinterpreted. Abimelech has asked for a sworn agreement, a peace treaty with Isaac, but how, how will Isaac respond? We see the sealing of the deal here. Isaac prepared a feast for them. Matthews in his commentary says this, typical of ancient treaties, a shared meal by the two participants, even between superior and inferior parties, confirmed a pact. Isaac provided the, con- the covenant meal as the host, exhibiting his goodwill and also perhaps his superiority. And so the next morning, they swear an oath to each other. You know, they have this meal together. They eat and they drink. They are filled up, and Isaac uh, encourages them to spend the night uh, there. And then that next morning, they swear this oath to each other. The peace treaty is done. And that brings us to our second principle today, that God is able to make our enemies live at peace with us, even when our ways are, when our ways are pleasing to him. So he's able to make our enemies live at peace with us, Proverbs 16, 7 was read for you this morning. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Isaac was experiencing the blessing of the Lord because his ways were pleasing to the Lord. And when the Lord confirmed that the Abrahamic covenant was extended to Isaac, we see that in Genesis 26, 3 to 6, if he obeyed the Lord, Isaac did just that. So God said, I'm going to confirm this covenant, the same covenant I gave to Abraham, as long as you're obedient to me. And, and Isaac was like, I'll be obedient. And we see that because he says, don't go down to Egypt during this famine, but stay here in Gerar. Stay in this area, and I'll bless you. And the passage tells us that that's exactly what Isaac did. He stayed in Gerar. While it's not stated directly, my guess is that Isaac kept the Lord's requirements, his commands, decrees, and laws, just like his father Abraham had done. He was living a life pleasing to the Lord, which resulted in Abimelech, and he living in peace with each other. How does this apply to us? Are you currently in conflict with someone? Do you want to live at peace with that person? Have you done some soul searching to make sure that you're living a life pleasing to the Lord? Is there an area that you need to sacrifice before the Lord? And that just brings us to our third next step today, and that's to examine my life to make sure that it is pleasing to the Lord so that I can live at peace with my enemies. When we live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, we will experience his blessing in our lives, which can draw others to him. Isaac peacefully sends them on their way. Isaac treats them the opposite of how they treated him. 
And Hamilton says Abimelech drove Isaac from Gerar. Isaac sends Abimelech back to Gerar in peace. Two different things. It wasn't hostile or hated. It was with peace that he sends him away. And then something extraordinary happens the same day that the oath is sworn. Our second point this morning is reward. We see it in verses 32 and 33. That day, Isaac's servants came and, and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Shiva. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. <clears throat> and so what we see here, we saw in Genesis 26, verse 25, that Isaac had built an altar, pitched his tent, and his servants dug a well. My guess is that they were still digging that well. <laughs> When Abimelech and his uh, two friends come, they lay, their labor was not in vain because they found water eventually there in that well that they were digging. God had blessed Isaac once again. Isaac named the well uh, Shiva, and the name of the well means an oath. Isaac was obviously connecting the peace treaty with Abimelech and the finding of water by naming the well Shiva. Matthew says the passage implies that the new well was not a coincidence, but a signal of the Lord's blessing. The man could now rest comfortably in the land, knowing that his neighbors had been pacified and that provisions abounded. And then we see that he names, um, well, the town nearby had already been named by Abraham, actually, as Beersheba. We're told in Genesis 26, 23 that Isaac had gone up to Beersheba, and the name of the town closest to the well of Shiva was Beersheba. And verse 33 concludes the narrative about Isaac and Abimelech. But the next two verses are a transition from this narrative to the narrative about Jacob getting Esau's blessing. So that's why the author has put these two verses in here, verses 34 and 35. And this um, point is reject. Look at those two verses with me. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of... I'll pronounce, I'll see if I can, I have it written in here. Um, yeah, so Baori, and then um, the Hittite, and also uh, Bosmath, daughter of, and it's not Elon Musk, by the way, just so you know. It's actually pronounced a little bit differently. Alone is actually how it's pronounced, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So two things that we see here under reject. We see Esau's heart, and then Isaac and Rebekah's heart ache. When Esau was 40 years old, he married two Hittite women. Uh, yeah, the, the Hebrew way of pronouncing this is Yehudith, something like that. It means Jewish or praised. And she was the daughter of Baori, which means my well. And then he also married Bosmath, which means spice, the daughter of Alone, which means terebinth or mighty. <clears throat> we see that Esau's heart was with the world instead of with God. Esau had not jumped on the bandwagon of God's blessing through his grandfather and father. He was his own man, determined to make his own way. <coughs> Hamilton again tells us this, and he's quoting Sarna. Sarna has suggested that the placement of these two verses here reinforces the unworthiness of Esau to be his father's heir. <coughs> Esau's errors are threefold. He, was, he has contracted the marriage himself, thus bypassing his parents. That was normally how it was done uh, in this period of time in the ancient Near East. 
The parents were the ones who contracted the marriage. He married exogamously, which is just a big word for me, meaning marrying outside the tribe, family, clan, or other social unit, rather than endogamously, which is just another fancy word for marrying within a specific group or required by custom or law. He has <clears throat> gone against the honor of his clan group by intermarrying with the native women. So Esau was rejecting everything he had been taught growing up. Others were not drawn to the Lord through Esau's life because he was not living a life pleasing to the Lord. He was not receiving the Lord's blessing. Then we see Isaac and Rebekah's heartache. It's presumed that the source of grief that Isaac and Rebekah were experiencing was related to the fact that the two women were Hittites and part of the Canaanite people. These women were from a pagan culture, which means that they were probably not following the Lord, but were wrapped up in idol worship. And Abraham made his chief servant swear an oath not to get a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites, but from his own people. We saw that back in Genesis chapter 24, verses 2 to 5. But listen to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. This is when the Israelites have been uh, have, have exited Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is what Scripture says, Deuteronomy 7, 1 to 4. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, there they are, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and have... An, an, and uh, I must have, that must be a typo. And uh, have no mercy. Yeah, I just, it's a typo. I have no mercy on them. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. So again, here it's like God is saying, don't intermarry. These are pagan people. I want you to follow me. I want you to, you know, to remain pure in this. And all of this prepares us then for the narrative found in Genesis chapter 27 in the beginning of, uh, beginning of chapter 28, where we're going to see uh, Jacob and, and the story of Jacob begin, begin to go out. <clears throat> so as we kind of just review today, do others recognize God's blessing in your life? Are you sharing that with others? Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to resolve a situation that you may have misinterpreted? Is your life pleasing to the Lord? As a body of believers, we need to make sure that we are recognizing God's blessing in the life of our church, what he's doing. And he's doing incredible things. I try to share that with you from time to time. He's providing in incredible ways. He's revitalizing this body of believers. Second, perhaps we've misinterpreted a situation at church and we need to open up a conversation with leadership or other people in the church. And then third is the corporate life at Idaville Church pleasing to the Lord. Are we really loving one another like we're commanded to do? Like what our theme is for this year? Or is there still something that kind of holds us back from loving that person or this particular person? I just want to encourage us today to jump on the bandwagon of God's blessing by living a life that's pleasing to him. And so as the worship team comes, would you stand with us as we close in a, a song of the fact that God provides, he always provides for us.
And let me commit this to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just come to you. Thank you again for your word and the power that's in it. I thank you that you uh, do provide for us. Thank you for the way that you blessed Isaac and the way that you bless us, Lord God. We are so grateful. In fact, there are times where we can't even put it into words, the gratitude that we have for how you've taken care of us. Lord, would we uh, share with others that blessing so that they might come to you, they might be drawn to you. Lord, just move by your Holy Spirit now as your word works in our hearts and minds. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.